Hello, Belinda. Hi, Omar. What is this week's gratitude blooming theme? It is card number 19, the rhododendron representing prayer. Amen. Sorry, I had to do that. (laughs) And what is uh, the prompt for this card? Take a moment to share your own blessing of gratitude with the world. I appreciate that word blessing. In German, blessing means blossom or to sacrifice with blood. And so when we say we're blessed, we're really acknowledging the sacrifices of others. And so this one of just really who has made sacrifices for you is is what I hear uh, with this card. And I love the image of the rhododendron uh, in the summer. That's what comes up for me when I think about this card. And the rhododendron is a cousin of the azalea, which is our hope plant. And it's just such a beautiful connection. When I uh, was traveling to Oregon a couple summers ago and unexpectedly in the wild, there was a whole forest of rhododendron. And I just remember the big bulby pink flowers and just the sweetness all around. And it felt like I was being blessed by them as I was walking in the forest. And so it's just interesting to think about how I can be uh, expressing my gratitude to, to, to nature in the form of a blessing and, and, and also that relationship back. Like mm-hmm. how many times have we been blessed by mother earth and all her forms and not noticed? It's like the giving tree, you know, as, as you're saying that. And it's interesting because the rhododendron has a very woody quality to it. And, you know, it makes me think my mom has them. Uh, in her backyard and front yard sprinkled around. And so just, you know, the sacrifices that my mom made and parents make and so many others make uh, in order for us to be able to be here now. And I think back to when Arlene and I were in her living room with all the beautiful uh, illustrations on spread out on her floor. And, and we were trying to come up with prompts, you know, for every single one. And, and sitting with the spirit of the rhododendron and this word, word prayer, it felt super edgy in some ways, you know, like some of us have this practice as part of our cultural background, as part of our way of navigating the world. And there are others where this is really uncomfortable because sometimes you feel like, wow, is there, am I supposed to be part of a religion to be able to use this word? And so for us, you know, after sitting with it a lot, we thought, well, you know, what is the simplest form of this intention? And it really is gratitude and and blessings, which we all can give and receive. I remember a few episodes ago, we had the singer Radhika, and I think the title of the podcast, uh, When the Universe Slaps You, Pay Attention. And she starts every morning singing a mantra and and the intention that she's, or the prayer she says is how can I be of service today? And I just, I love that her prayer is really just like an offering, right? Like, Hey, not I'm asking for something. It's not a petition. It's like, Hey, how can I be of service? Yeah. And she links the word prayer with praise, Mm. which I love that reframe. It's like, yes, 
praising all that is that's that's so simple (laughs) not so complicated doesn't have to get caught up in institutional sort of churches and organizations which you know are complicated and so you know but just because those things are complicated doesn't mean we can't sort of find our own ways and and make those connections ourselves I am excited about the conversation we're going to get to share today, too, with our special guest on this topic who has navigated all the different layers around this this practice and this word. Um, But before we get to that, Arlene, what comes up for you when you revisit the rhododendron and this idea of prayer? Yeah, just listening to you guys speak today about this theme and what comes up for me is I remember um, from season one that we uh, covered this theme. And when I wrote the story for season one, I really tied prayer to intention. So really prayer is no more than an intention, right? So it doesn't have to be tied to a religion or, um, you know, we. so I sort of like to think that we can shift the you know, the way we think of prayer to be not like we're praying for something, but we are putting our intention out there. And the intention could be, you know, like a traditional prayer, like I intend to um, send healing thoughts to somebody who's not well, or I'm sending healing thoughts to the earth because I, maybe the earth needs a little love. So um, I like to think of prayer in that way. And I do have, uh, I, I didn't write a story this week, but I do have an offering that just uh, popped into my head. And I don't know if this makes sense, but um, I often think of poems as prayers. And I think that um, there's this one poem that's been coming up for me a lot, um, you know, recently. It's a poem by T.S. Eliot called Ash Wednesday. And I thought maybe as um, an offering, I would read this part of the poem. So it's part six of T.S. Eliot's Ash Wednesday. Although I do not hope to turn again, although I do not hope, although I do not hope to turn, wavering between the prophet and the loss, In this brief transit, where three dreams cross, the dream crossed twilight between birth and dying. Bless me, Father, though I do not wish to wish these things. From the wide window toward the granite shore, the white sails still fly seaward, seaward flying, unbroken wings. And the lost heart stiffens and rejoices in the lost lilac and the lost sea voices and the weak spirit quickens to rebel for the bent golden rod in the lost sea smell quickens to recover the cry of quail and the whirling plover and the blind eye creates the empty forms between the ivory gates and the smell renews the salt savor of the sandy earth. 
This is the time of tension between dying and birth, the place of solitude where three dreams cross, between blue rocks. But when the voices shaken from the yew tree drift away, let the other you be shaken and reply. Blessed Sister, Holy Mother, Spirit of the Fountain, Spirit of the Garden, Suffer us not to mock ourselves with falsehood. Teach us to care and not to care. Teach us to sit still, even among these rocks. Our peace in His will, and even among these rocks. Sister, Mother, and Spirit of the River, Spirit of the Sea, Suffer me not to be separated, and let my cry come unto thee. Hmm. I love the image of the unbroken wing. It just, I love how poetry can do that. You can say, you can just say the word wing, but somehow saying unbroken wing gives a different lightness. And I also love that line about teach me to care teach me not to care and just that delicate balance between compassion and non-attachment, right? Like how do I have deep empathy and sort of connection, but at the same time, how do I hold non-attachment and really sort of, really just sort of be present? Um, Or, you know, we, Belinda and I interviewed earlier this week, uh, Zen monk, Norma Wong, who will be releasing the interview in near future. But one of the things that, she talked about is in some ways the old ways was about doing now we think about being but in the future it's really about becoming and so how do we just sort of stay in that place of becoming arlena i'm curious what is the prayer that you'd like to express in the world at this time through this beautiful poem i i'm still processing it and i feel it in my heart like the softening (laughs) of like arriving here in that state of prayer, which is very vulnerable and very divine at the same time. Um, So I don't have words. I just have this feeling. So I'm curious what is coming up for you and what is the intention of this, of this prayer poem? Yeah, there's a lot of words in poetry. Sometimes it can be hard to process. And so, yeah, I I encourage uh, everyone to like, you know, spend some time with these words, you know, on your own. But I find that the entire this you know there's this is the sixth part of um of you know I only read one part of the six part poem the last one and it all feels like a prayer to me which I think is just miraculous right I think poetry is like a prayer and in this last section I just feel this cry it's a cry out you know the lines you know the last line is let me let my cry come unto thee. You know, it's so it's a longing, it's a longing, you know, to, to be united again to, you know, what do we call that? You know, we were to not be separated. I feel like the whole poem is to um, um, not be separated any longer. And I think that it's funny, um, Omar, that you, the, the reason I keep coming back to the poem is those lines exactly that you said, teach us to care and not to care. 
it's like I feel like that's my mantra in life, like teach me to care and not to care, right? And there's so much um, power in those lines. And so I always find prayer so fascinating in the many different forms it can take. And and just to like use sort of church as an example, you know, you might have uh, a Pentecostal church and prayer is like spontaneous and it's of the moment and it's like, this is what I'm feeling. And it's just naming, naming it right then and there. Um, but I also go to uh, an Episcopal church and there's the book of common prayer, which was written, I think like 500 years ago. And it's like, it has literally every day, this is the prayer for that day. And so it's always fascinating to be like between the spontaneity of prayer and then something that could have been written 500 years ago and be like, Hey, this is going to be, and then I, you know, as I was thinking about that, and to be honest, I have a little judginess around the, like, how is this really a prayer if it was written that long ago? Um, but like, I have no qualms around mantras. I love mantras. Like mantras help me get settled and like, whether I'm doing it in my meditation or uh, chanting a mantra, it feels very present and real in that moment, even though some of those mantras probably have written a couple thousand years ago. And so it really then is, in some ways, what is the intention that we're bringing into the words? The words just in some ways are a container for us to like express maybe that cry uh, that you're hearing. I love, Arlene, your connection to art in all of its forms, right? We talk, there's the visual art, but you, know, you also are a deep uh, appreciator and practicer of music and piano and then poetry and written word. And really, you've created an invitation for art to be way more expansive. I know that you're always encouraging Belinda and me to connect to our inner artists. Um, and that this is, in some ways, a collective art piece. And even just this week, we were having sort of a conversation like, what is Gratitude Blooming? Is it this like independent publisher of mindfulness tools and art and gifts? Um, or is it like a laboratory where we're just kind of co-creating and, you know, and I think I really appreciated that we can say like, it can be all of those things, you know, and let's just sort of, it, it doesn't have to be sort of one thing. And I think that's what poetry creates room where it's like, oh, this isn't sort of the narrow box. It can, it can create sort of room for imagination. Yeah, I'm excited for both of you to, you know, step into your the artist, you know, feeling like you are the artists, right? Because you are the artists and, you, you know, with your beautiful words and uh, Omar and Belinda with your beautiful way of, you know, making connections and weaving these stories together. So, yeah, I, I see you both as uh, as artists. So I think, you know, together, right, we are gratitude blooming the artist. And looking at the art, I love how the three triangles, there's one that's kind of facing down, then there's one that's facing up and then another one kind of going down. And, and the color, the pink, pinkish color reminds me of the rhododendron that uh, I got to be blessed with on this walk uh, in the Oregon forest. So it's interesting how even the 
color can express just this softness and sweetness of mother nature's prayer back to us <laughs> feels like Arlene for the for the art you have this balance between the organic form of the flower and then these very precise sort of geometric triangles what is that juxtaposition that you're intentionally or not so intentionally creating yeah i i don't know if it's my own um search for wholeness you know that it's not just or i find this a lot in a lot of the art i do it's like i really want it to look organic but then you know the geometry is always you know um um it's always calling too so and they're two very different things and they're often hard to reconcile in a single visual image so i think i'm i'm sort of exploring the opposites right these opposite um elements and um trying to trying to discover right it's maybe something new i appreciate that perspective because what i what i hear is sometimes we can only appreciate something relative to something else and so the geometric shapes are more stark because you have then this very organic hand-drawn image. And the hand-drawn image actually feels that much more gentle because it's sort of in relationship to these triangles. And I, I think about prayer as like, well, then what's prayer relative to, right? Like prayer might be relative to the much more mundane things that we're just kind of going through in each and every day, or, you know, maybe the prayer invites the sacred when many things are just secular or, you know, in the day to day. And and so then all of a sudden like, Oh, okay, which tool do I want to pull from? And even if you have, you know, a comfortableness with one, well, why not the other, you know, and, and what is that invitation? Uh, for you. I, I love hearing these interpretations and I learned so much, which is another reason why I think, you know, art really needs to be done in community because you're right. Maybe the geometric shapes are there to, you know, remind us of the structure that holds us. Like we're always held, right? And this, the shapes, the geometric shapes are just such a basic form of existence like everything in reality right is made of these shapes so yeah hearing you speak about it omar it does sort of make me realize and and that does sound like what these geometric shapes are doing for me it's creating a held space for you know just life hey belinda i love that we're growing more gratitude in the world. And part of the way that we're doing that is collaborating with other podcasts, including Better Place Project. Uh, I was recently a host on the show uh, talking about gratitude with Steve Norris. He and I got to talking about how do we just help promote and share what we want to see in the world. So yeah, we invite you to check out Better Place Project, where each week, they shine a light on amazing humans doing extraordinary things who share their knowledge with us on how we can be living healthier, happier, and more purposeful lives, which is in such alignment with this whole podcast 
of collective acceleration through gratitude, nature, and art. So to add a little more joy and inspiration to your day, head over and subscribe to Better Place Project wherever you get your podcasts. I love how we're inviting in prayer through all these different angles, literally. (laughs) The edges, the the roundedness of it and and it's a delight to introduce our guest for this week uh dr erica powell uh she is a dear friend of mine who i actually met at a culture workshop so we were both kind of exploring organizational culture and how to uh, create spaces for vulnerability and, and deeper connection and and uh we ended up talking outside of the conference and just realized we had so much in common and um, have been good friends ever since. And, and I asked Erica, I was like, okay, you know, the gratitude booming card deck, you know, most of my friends at this point, they're like, okay, if we're going to be friends. We're going to have to use this card deck sometimes to connect and celebrate. And I was surprised she signed up to talk about prayer because it's something that as a cultural anthropologist uh, in her background as in training, she's thought a lot about and also has had a lot of experience, life experience uh, growing up um, with uh, lots of different religious takes and, and has had to make meaning of, well, what does prayer really mean to me now as an adult looking back and looking forward? So I'd love, I'd love to introduce Erica with a clip about her background. Why did she choose this one, this particular theme to discuss and share with us? Pick the card because this year, actually, it came into focus for me. These questions that I had around, who am I talking to when I put a prayer out there? How do I pray? Uh, because in some parts of my experience and in some traditions, it's very scripted. Like the Catholic part of me is like, oh, you need to pray. That means you will say three Hail Marys for our fathers. And then I have a whole host of books with like tons of prayers. What, what do you want to pray for? Here's, here's the prayer. So part of or the reason why I chose this card and I said, yeah, sign me up for that was because this summer I had an experience where prayer finally made sense to me. I knew who I was talking to and I knew how I could direct my prayers to that entity or that being or that thing. And so I just wanted to share um, that experience with folks, because I don't think I'm the only one who has ever wondered, who the hell am I talking to? <laughs> Where is this thing going? Whose inbox is getting this? <laughs> <laughs> the story from the summer, though, where it all came together was I went on um, a retreat called the Zen Peacemakers Retreat. It was a bearing witness retreat. And they do, they hold or host bearing witness retreats. They have about three or four of them. They have one, which is their like signature one um, where they go to Auschwitz and they sit in the camps or what used to be the camps and they pray and um, they connect and they bear witness to the suffering that occurred there. 
They have another one that they just created a few years ago, I think, um, in Selma and uh, Montgomery, Alabama, where they look at um, or they bear witness uh, to the African-American experience in this country, slavery, civil rights, all of those things. Um, then they have another one where they do like street retreats, where basically um, people sign up to spend a weekend living their life as if they were an unhoused person. So um, everything is taken away from you except, I think, a few dollars and maybe one person in your little pod gets a cell phone. But that might not even be true because I haven't done that one. But the one that I did which was the one from this summer, um, was the bearing witness retreat with the Native American. They call it the Native American plunge. And um, for about eight days, I was in South Dakota and Wyoming with uh, Lakota elders, just practicing um, this practice of bearing witness. So our days were kind of cool because every morning we started the day in circle and in prayer. And um, it was Lakota prayers, which I speak a lot of languages or pieces of languages, Spanish and tiny bit of Arabic, a little, 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 little smidgen of French <laughs> and even tinier piece of Japanese. But I had never, um, never had that opportunity and that experience to hear prayers in uh, a native language, in an indigenous language. And it was, we were sitting in a meadow one morning and one of the elders was speaking as they usually do. Like the whole retreat is just, let's see what organically pops up when the elders speak about all different types of topics. And so we're sitting in this beautiful meadow um, the sky looks like it's about to start raining, but it's not fully raining yet. Um, and it's kind of like in and out, you know, when the sky punks you and it's like, I'm a rain. Nope, no, I'm not. I'm a rain. Yeah, yeah. Get ready. Yeah. So we're sitting out there and about 30 of us were all in a circle under the trees. And one of the elders stops speaking and she says, you know, listen, everything is alive. And everything is listening to you. From the creek, we were sitting next to a creek. That creek is alive. The grass is alive. There were these little woodchucks running around, and they were the cutest little things until I discovered that they had fleas that could cause the bubonic plague. But they were adorable <laughs> before I knew that. Just kind of running around, getting into our bags, very, very close. One brushed my leg. And then um, the elder said, you know, even down to the birds, the birds are listening. And she went on to describe how like she could be sitting in this circle with us. And then in a religious ceremony, the spirit of the bird would come through and, and say, hey, I remember when you were sitting with those group of people. So when she said that everything is alive and everything is listening, for some reason, I was like, oh, so someone is listening to my prayers. Mm. And all I have to do is talk because everything is alive and everything is listening. Who is uh, getting the inbox when we send those messages out? I love this two-way communication. That's, you know, sometimes I feel like 
it feels like you're talking to this big void and it's very uncertain. Um, and I love how Erica unpacks this deep connection with the land and through the guidance of a Lakota elder, like, don't you see everything is listening? You can't see that, but it's happening. Do you believe it? It reminds me of the visit I had in uh, Jasper, Banff, and it was the stony uh, people said, where's home? Home is wherever the light falls. And it's just all of a sudden, everything is alive. Everything is listening. Everywhere is home. And when we move through the world like that, there is no separation. Uh, And I think that to me is really about that reconnection and being regrounded. And I'm, I'm even being reminded about Arlene's art and by paying attention to the plants, she was able to listen, you know, to what they had to say and just being in that dialogue with, the world around us in a very different way. Really, I'm excited to follow this thread with Erica around. So you had this revelation at a retreat, you know, and, and Omar, we had talked about this when we were sharing about the patience episode with Sifu Paul, right? Like it's one thing to live this at retreat, but then how do you actually live this in your day-to-day life? And, and what does that actually look like? And so I'm, you know, it's, it was really interesting conversation, just unpacking with Erica, like, so what is really present for you now that, you know, you've had time away to really reflect on what, what is the role of prayer in your life? And it was beautiful for her to share, you know, how is that really still present with her in such a deep way? Up to that point, I just was like, throwing prayers on some type of invisible wall, right? And maybe some angel or some helper would take it where it needed to be, (laughs) which is very compartmentalized and very, um, very Virgo. The shift was really one in which I got into relationship with life and into a dialogue with life. So I wasn't concerned about like, oh, who's getting this message anymore and who's going to pick up this request and do this thing for me. I actually get to now enjoy being in dialogue and conversation with life. And it, it's not it's not a request based prayer. Sometimes the prayer is just like, oh, hey, life <laughs> or Hey, thank thank you for these beautiful trees. Thank you for this beautiful ocean. Thank you for um, this air that I'm breathing. Thank you for all of these little things that I take for granted. Just thank you. (laughs) Having that experience made me say, I have to intentionally live from a place of retreat. It's no longer uh, negotiable that I don't pray in the morning. It's no longer negotiable or a non-negotiable that like when I'm feeling stressed or scared or sad, because life is going to life, right? This is 
what we signed up for here on Earth School. Um, it's no longer a non-negotiable that I like don't pause and say, oh, I'm feeling a certain way. Let me put out a prayer here. Even if it's a short like, hey, life, I'm here in the bathtub and I got tears coming down. <laughs> um, I, I intentionally live from that place of prayer. Life is going to life. <laughs> That's such a great line. And just how to then lean into it and be present. That's, you know, just it being in dialogue. You know, I think this is also when we had the author, Victoria Lures, you know, and she changed the word logos from the word to the conversation. And it's just, I don't know, there's like all these like huge, they're not even breadcrumbs at this point. They're like loaves that are just saying, hey, stop, you know, separating things. Stop thinking that it's just, you in a bubble sort of moving around and realize that the, everything is alive. Everything is listening. And the intentionality that is required to be in that dialogue, right? Like that's what really struck me listening to Erica share it this time around is the feeling and intentionality that we can have when we're on retreat, we can take that home because that's with us. That's in us. And, and when, when I think about putting out a blessing into the world or a big, a bigger intention, it does require this pause or this form of listening that is, that is much more present than just doing a day-to-day kind of task. So that was kind of, that's, was the energy that I felt. It's like, wow, this is something that can be simple, but powerful. And how can this connect in with the larger context of, of work with other people? And, and it's interesting um, at the point in the conversation with Erica, when she really starts defining what is her purpose, her, her work in the world as a culture keeper. And, and you wouldn't think culture and prayer would ever be connected or related to each other. And she but she makes this really strong case for why her prayer practice is so important in the way that she intentionally holds culture and the work that she does as an organizational consultant who focuses a lot on diversity and inclusion and equity work, which is just not easy work. It's, it's messy work. <laughs> I feel like if there is one purpose in my life, and I struggle with this idea of people having a purpose because it's very utilitarian and it's very like it's a charged term for me as someone who does a lot of DEI work Um, and in other cultures the idea of people having a purpose is like no the purpose is to be a human (laughs) and to live live your life the best that you can and like have this human experience so for me what I am noticing that's emerging for me is that my purpose is really orienting people back to their shared humanity. And that requires me and us to embrace all of the things. 
So the dark is no better than the light, nor is the light better than the dark. And so in one of my recent prayers, I heard back, like, you know, you are a culture keeper, right? There are some people on planet Earth that tend culture um, and help us keep culture. And what is that culture? It's our values. It's our beliefs. It's our systems. It's how we we roll as our our little beings that we call ourselves humans to be. So I feel like if there is a purpose for me right now, and I see it coming up in my art, I see it coming up in my writing, and in you know, the work that I, I do in the world professionally, it's to bring people back to their humanity. And that's not a linear process. We're all at different levels and different things will bump us out of our humanity and different things will bump us back in. But I finally realized um, post that experience and then the months after that experience uh, with the Lakota this summer was that um, some of us can see things that others can't about our humanity. And, and I'm one of those people. And that's part of what I'm here to do. Bring us back to our humanity. That's a big job. <laughs> I also like that she just said your purpose is to be human and to have this human experience, right? Like we don't have to make it more than that. We don't have to make it less than that, right? And in some ways, like just as we were talking about the art and the sort of juxtaposition between the sort of organic hand-drawn form and then the very precise geometric triangles Part of that is, you know, the human experience is somewhere in between that, right? In the sense that we're not the universe in the, in, you know, having to do universal things. Um, we're also not necessarily like just plants and rocks either. Like, like we've been given um, a certain amount of choice and agency, um, but we're also at the same time not responsible for everything. <laughs> and, and, it's nonlinear. So it's not like life is nonlinear. And so it's not like sometimes we want to think about things through the lens of progress. Right. And so we're like A equals B, B equals C, you know, so therefore A equals C and, and, and that sort of linearity um, in some ways is where we create a lot of our own pain and suffering um, is because it's sort of like, Oh, we want things to sort of progress and move in this nice, neat way. Um, as opposed to, it's a dialogue. It's not a script. Right? It's a conversation. And it is being sort of created as it is happening. Um, and so how do we sort of balance that listening and sharing? Close with one final clip from Erica that draws from her anthropological studies and it is kind of interesting the conclusion that she draws about like how how do you pray how do you bring the messiness of human existence right now um back to arlene your poem of the duality of the separation that really isn't there that um how do we come back together you know with ourselves and with our connection to humanity um, so I just love how Erica kind of brings it back from her 
training as an anthropologist uh, looking at this? How do we come back together, you know, as, as her role as the culture keeper and the culture creator, which is more of like, Omar, what you were saying is like, who are we becoming collectively? So what I know as an anthropologist, because that's my my training originally, this is how like I got to be a culture keeper, <laughs> um, is that humans are wired to judge anything that is different or unfamiliar to them. Um, on first glance, we perceive it as a threat. So our inclination is to defend ourselves against it. And how we defend ourselves is through judging, through invalidation of it, through all of the all of the things that we use to kind of keep ourselves either physically, emotionally, um, or physically or emotionally safe. What comes up for me when I hear about your experiences is my own. I've, I've been in some very interesting religious uh, spaces from Christianity. I went into African traditional religions, became the, what is it? Uh, got the highest Girl Scout badge I could get in that and then said, I can't do this no more. So I've climbed a lot of religious and spiritual mountains. What comes up for me, though, is this thread that I think everyone wants, and it manifests in different ways, different cultures, or different cultures have ways of doing it, but is this very human desire to feel connected to something bigger. And if we can look at other practices through that lens of how is this practice helping someone connect to something and what is that something, then you get a different level of understanding. And I think that's where um, that's where people living on planet Earth at this particular time in the history of Earth and the history of what we see as life have an interesting perspective because now there are just so many examples of how you can pray or how you can connect to life or the divine. Mm -hmm. um, you do have to be careful with things like cultural appropriation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But and within this existence of ours, we all have different ways of connecting. Mm. And I think our charge right now when people write about us 100 years from now is that we were the generation of folks who were really like trying to tap in to see what feels right when I want to connect and be in dialogue with life. Yeah, I want to note that when we were interviewing uh, Dr. Erica Powell, she was wearing this black T-shirt um, with the words written in right in white. I read banned books. Actually, it was a gray T-shirt that she was wearing, and it said, "I read banned books." And I just I appreciated that because how often do we censor ourselves? Right. How often do we not 
allow ourselves to truly express what is in our hearts, what we're feeling. And really, prayer is in some ways giving yourself permission to listen, to learn, to share in so many different ways, right? Whether it's the poetry that Arlene shared or Yard or this podcast and sort of exploring these different dimensions of being human, you know, it's just how do we give ourselves permission to feel connected, to feel like we're not alone, to feel like we are part of something bigger than just ourselves. As we close on this theme of just being in dialogue with life, I invite the practice of just going out into nature this week and listening to the whispers of the trees, the squirrels, the birds all around. And just notice what you hear when the aliveness of nature is all around and within you. What praise or blessing comes to your heart when you are listening to the aliveness that's all around. You're welcome to say it to yourself or speak it out loud to the trees and the birds that are bearing witness. Thank you, Belinda, for that invitation. Thank you, Arlene, for the poetry and art. Thank you, Brian, for holding this space for us. And thank you to our listeners for just encouraging us uh, to keep this conversation, to keep this dialogue uh, going. Cheers. Cheers.